Well, Jesus is not only a beautiful name, he's a powerful name. And today, in Luke chapter 9, he is going to take the power and authority of his kingdom and commission and call and send his disciples to do his work. In fact, here's what the passage says. There's some really intriguing parts of it. He calls his 12 disciples, uses the word disciples there together, and he gave them power and he gave them authority over demons, the ability to cure diseases, and he sent them to go do the work of the kingdom. And over and over through history, God is sending us to do his work. But then, in verse 10, he changes the word from disciples to apostles. And the word apostles literally means sent ones. So Jesus is sending the sent ones to advance his kingdom. And when the sent ones return to him, they don't talk about what they believe They talk what they have done for the kingdom. And I think for many of us, Christianity has done such a good job of making a distinction between works-based salvation and grace-based salvation. We have determined that primarily the message of Jesus is about beliefs and dogma. And it certainly includes those. But Jesus is primarily talking about not something we believe, but a kingdom we advance Something we do that when the apostles return, they speak about what they have done in Jesus' name. And Jesus not only wants to send them, but Jesus wants to send you and I. He wants us to do his work with him in light of what he has done for us. In other words, when you realize that the king left his kingdom to come to our earth to forgive us, to love us, to forgive us past, present, future, fully restored, fully forgiven, fully acceptable, it's out of what he has done for me that I join him on earth in my everyday life being sent into my job, sent into my family, sent into my neighborhood, To advance the kingdom. I remember I had a pastor in Chicago. Had a phrase that I loved. He said, you know what the problem with the church is today? What's the problem with the church today? The church is filled with spiritual porkers. Who need to exercise. Oh, they gobble up Bible studies all the time. (laughs) Wednesday night Bible study. News insights. Oh, another Bible study Sunday morning. Gobble, 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 gobble. gobble. Spiritual porkers. Eat, 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 eat. But they never exercise it. They never participate in it and advance the kindness and the love and, and the compassion and the other-centeredness. To be sent by God is not to just sort of nourish yourself at the trough of the Bible all the time. And I'm a huge fan of eating at the trough. But it's to go and advance the kingdom. And Jesus wants to send you. And he wants to send me. To commission us to see our everyday life as a sent mission to be part of parting with his work in the kingdom. To do that today, we're going to look at three ways in which Jesus sort of builds that idea with his disciples. What does it mean to be refired into a new sense of commission and calling in your life? What does it mean to rethink what God is doing around you? And how do we stay refueled by his spirit as we do it? The passage begins here in verse 1 of chapter 9 by talking about what it means to be refired. His disciples have been with him for a while, but now they are refired into this new commission. So he called the 12 disciples together. 
He gave them power and authority over all demons and, not just demons, to cure diseases. So he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and, again, to heal the sick. So immediately we got a challenge. Who are the disciples? Now here it's the 12 disciples. But Jesus had three disciples, 12 disciples, 70 disciples, 120 disciples. So the question is, the authority he's giving the 12 disciples, does that carry over to you and I as a Christian? Do we have the ability to cast out demons? And do we have the ability to heal sickness and heal disease? And so depending on how you grew up, you might have never thought of that. You might say, oh, I grew up charismatic. Of course we do. Hey, I grew up very cessationist. Of course we don't. So let me try and summarize maybe 10 hours of theological debate into maybe five minutes. And try and figure out where is our authority and how do we know what applies to the disciples and what applies to us. There's really three views. View number one is only them. Only the disciples, meaning the apostles who saw Jesus in his risen body, have that kind of authority over disease and over demons. It only applies to them. It helped authenticate the gospel during the kingdom age. Now that we're in the church age, yeah, certainly God could maybe use us, but for the most part, let the apostles do apostle things. The next view is equally both. Whatever the apostles have, we have. And if we would pray like they prayed, if we would have the kind of faith they had, if we had the kind of disciplines they had, we too could participate in everything they did and more, regardless of the age we're in. And then there's a view called, some of it applies to us. There were specific things related to being an apostle, but some of it applies to us today. There you go. There's 10 hours of theological debate. So how do you know which one? And how do you determine it? Well, one of the ways you want to determine whether it was only them is, is there any passages that reiterate these concepts later on post the book of Acts? And there are. So, for example, when it comes to dealing with evil forces, the Bible will say in John, greater is he who's in you as a Christian, not just a, a 12 disciple, than he who's in the world. In Ephesians, it will tell us that every day you and I need to put on the full armor of God that we may stand strong in the Lord. Stand strong against principalities and powers. And Colossians will tell us, Jesus put them all on display. So as a Christian, fully integrated into your position in Christ, you actually have power over evil forces. Not that you do, but Christ in you does. Relate to healing. Certainly, in at least James chapter 5, it says that one of the things the church was called to do was to anoint people with oil. It wasn't like magic oil. It just was a symbol of God's presence and pray for people to be healed. So it was something that continued on post the apostles. Now, most people when they come to this debate, they think it's a theological debate. It's honestly mostly a practical debate. So let me tell you why. Regardless of where you come down, all of us want everybody healed all the time. The real practical problem is, and you've been there and I've been there, you've prayed for people to be healed and they haven't. Right? So either over here, well, I just didn't have enough faith, and you beat yourself up, I need to pray longer, pray harder, pray harder, pray harder. It's my fault, it's my fault, they're not getting healed. Or you become very cynical and say, I guess God doesn't do anything like that anymore. So I lean to the some us, and I'm not sure where the mystery is of it, but I don't want to become cynical that God doesn't do miraculous things because I've prayed and see God do miraculous things. But I also have prayed and have God seemingly do nothing. Physically, at least. And it's interesting because even in the Bible, when Jesus is healing, he doesn't heal everybody all the time. He comes to the pool of Versailles. 
or Bethsaida. And he heals one man, but not the rest. Even Paul, who's certainly an apostle, is mentoring Timothy and says, Timothy, you got a stomach ache? Well, you know what? My shadow heals people and Peter's handkerchiefs heal people. But for you, take a little wine for your stomach ache. Like, this is the guy who saw Jesus. It's like shadow, or I can't remember if it's a shadow, or his handkerchiefs are healing people. And he's telling Timothy, you got a little tummy ache? Make sure you drink a little wine. It'll be good for you. So even the apostles had to wrestle with times that God doesn't take the thorn away from you. And God used medical or medicinal, physical ways to heal. In fact, if you trace back almost every hospital, nurse, doctor through history, you find at the core of it was a movement of Christians who said, we are called to pray for supernatural healing, and if not, learn about how the body works to bring about natural healing. So if you're a nurse or a doctor, if you've ever offered someone comfort or care or kindness, you are advancing the kingdom. So let's not beat ourselves up for not having enough faith when God decides not to heal. But let's not become cynical and not pray for God to do amazing and miraculous things based on what he's promised to us. The passage continues. It says, but not only that, he's also sent all of us, them specifically, but I'm going to apply it to all of us now, uh, to preach, to proclaim the kingdom of God, that the king is here, the king is reigning, the king is working around us and through us, and, and God wants to work through you as an ambassador of the king, an ambassador of the kingdom in your everyday life. The king reigns. Then he turns to the disciples and says, and as you're going out, take nothing for the journey. Now, this seems like incredibly unwise planning, doesn't it? He goes on to say, not only should you take nothing for the journey, don't take a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't even have two tunics apiece. Have you seen my closet? Have I seen your closet? Is Jesus forbidding that we should ever have more than one piece of clothing? Is Jesus saying don't plan ahead? Is Jesus saying don't prepare for what might come your way? Does this have implications to saving long term or retiring long term? If so, it seems very unwise. And it seems to be in contradiction to the book of Proverbs that tells us there should be oil and treasure in the, in the treasure house of the wise. So much so that you can leave riches to your children's children. So how can Jesus, whatever he's saying, it can't be in contradiction to the rest of the Bible. What's he saying? Well, I think a hint to what he might be saying here might be just related to the apostles and the specific mission. And that could be the part that applies to them but not us. But it could be that the phrase Jesus uses here, take nothing, occurs in the Old Testament. Later on in Luke chapter 9, Jesus will use the word soul, which also occurs in the passage I'm about to show you. So let me dig back into that passage and see if it maybe gives us hints as to what Jesus might be saying. Let's jump back into Genesis chapter 14. If you don't remember the story, Lot has ended up in Sodom. And in Sodom there's a king of Sodom. And Lot is not going the way of God. Abraham has decided to take the less desirable land and is pursuing God's kingdom. There's a big battle where Lot... And the king of Sodom and others go to battle with another king. Ultimately, the king of Sodom is defeated. Actually, he scurries off before he's defeated. But Lot is kidnapped. Many of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah are kidnapped. 
and much of the goods of the king of Sodom are taken. So Lot and friends and family and and people from Sodom are are being taken away by this evil king. One of them escapes. Makes his way back to Abram. Abram, your nephew Lot's always getting in trouble. He's in trouble again. Will you go rescue him? And Abram's like, oh yeah. He gets 380 of his shepherd warriors, battles them up and says, we're going to go rescue those who are selfish those who don't obey God, those who don't necessarily do God's thing, but we're going to put our resources at risk for people we care about, even when they're facing consequences of their own actions. So he and the shepherd warriors go, they make their way, and that night they attack this king, and they liberate Lot, other citizens from Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of the goods that were stolen from Sodom and Gomorrah. And as he comes back, Abram, with all the people and all the goods, two kings step up to meet Abram. The first is a king named Melchizedek, who comes with bread and wine. He says, Abram, I have a blessing from God for you. You are advancing God's kingdom, that you would risk your life and your resources to save other people, to rescue other people, to go after other people, especially someone like Lot who's been such a pain. You are part of a kingdom God's going to use to change the world. King Melchizedek. Bread, wine, and a blessing. Another king steps up, the king of Sodom, the one who had taken off when the kidnapping occurred. He comes back, hey, hey, guys, good to see you. Hey, um, I'm back. Um, Abram, thanks for getting my stuff back and thanks so much for uh, getting the people back. Make you a deal. He says, give me the souls. Now, the word there is persons, but in the Hebrew, the word translated there is translated 400 times souls and only 23 times persons. So I take that the word is souls in Hebrew. Here's what he says. The king of Sodom. Tell you what, Abram, give me the souls and you can keep all the stuff. To which Abram says, I will, same phrase for Jesus, take nothing that belongs to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus will later in chapter 9 of Luke Say, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And I think what Jesus may be implying in this chapter is that wherever you're advancing, would you rather have the blessing of a king with bread and wine who wants to bless you and send you and anoint you to advance his kingdom? Or will you sell your soul for the riches of another kingdom? And Melchizedek will disappear. It's like this little passage of Bible. Poof, he's gone for a thousand years. And then David will show up and say, hey, I was thinking about Melchizedek the other day. The Messiah is a lot like him. A king and a priest. One of the only king priests in the Bible who offers to send you and invite you into his kingdom. And then he'll disappear again for a thousand years. 
And the book of Hebrews will show up and say, you know the thing about Melchizedek? Who? Oh, yeah. He was a type of Christ. Because he comes into your life and the whole world offers you all kinds of other stuff, position and power and everything else that looks attractive. But what you really need is a king with bread and wine and a blessing and a kingdom about risking yourself for the sake of others. So I think the implication is not about not saving. It's about are you advancing your kingdom in dependence upon the king? Not depending upon the resources of something that's not from the kingdom of God. And Jesus was such a genius that Jesus wanted to design an organism, an organization, that would extend the test of time and persecution. So how did he do it? He's sending out his disciples, 12 of them. Then he'll send them out the 70. Jesus was so genius that he designed, long before it was vulgar in style, a decentralized organization. I was reading a book several years ago called The Spider and the Starfish. It talks about how these two organisms, at, at first glance, look similar. They have multiple legs, but they operate totally different. A spider is a central controlled organism. It's got a head, a brain, and each one of those legs needs the head to function. And many of us have worked in organizations, we lead organizations that are very spider-esque. Decisions come from the top and they go out to the legs. And if you cut a leg off a spider, the leg dies. You end up with a seven-legged spider. You cut off another one, it dies, six-legged spider. But not so with the starfish. The starfish actually has all of the systems needed to function in all of its legs. Don't try this at home. I'm a trained professional. If you grab a starfish and cut off a leg, cut off a leg, and you wait, you will end up with five new starfish. Because God designed the starfish to be decentralized. That no matter what you do to it, everything it needs to regrow is built into all of the legs. There isn't a central command center. And so Jesus built a church where people would train people to love God and to, to fall in love with the Bible, train other people to be discipled, to learn, love God. And, and so there wasn't like a way to stop it. When they tried to stop Christianity, typically be like, hey, you know, find the leader, kill him, it's done. No. Every time you tried to cut off the church, it kept growing. It kept growing. Because Jesus was a genius of designing a decentralized organization that would continue to grow. You think about the decentralized organizations today, the bad ones, like Al-Qaeda, we can't stop them because it's so decentralized, there's no central command to attack. You think about things like AA, how many people are in AA today? Nobody knows because it's decentralized. You think of things like Craigslist, a little, a little bit of spider controlling it, but self-generating content from its users, decentralized. God designed the church to be decentralized to expand the kingdom. It's one of the ways we've designed our church. In fact, it's probably the thing that most unusual for people because they're used to churches that kind of say, hey, we're in control. You know, you give all your time and resources to us and then we're going to tell you where you should serve and, and where you should give and what you should do and we sort of control it all. We've taken more of a, hey, we're going to give opportunities. We're going to partner with people who have their own sort of, you know, expertise in areas. We're going to form 10, 15-year friendships with folks and, and feel called long-term to different areas. And you might get called to an area instead of saying, hey, let's make the church do, you know, 100 things poorly. Let's do six things well. So folks are saying, you know, I want to get involved in, in expanding the kingdom here in Cincinnati and beyond. Does Horizon even do missions? 
And I'm like, we do so many missions, I can't keep track of them all. So I put them into a starfish for you. Just some of the ways in which we're trying to organize and mobilize people to be part of advancing the kingdom. Here. Maybe for you, advancing the kingdom is you've been on the receiving end of many people loving, caring for you, caring for your kids, putting services together. And it's time for you to be part of mobilizing the kingdom by serving at Horizon here. Or maybe you've been serving for a while. You're like, I want God to challenge me to advance the kingdom in new ways, and you want to serve near. Maybe you want to join our teams that are serving down at City Gospel Mission and advancing the kingdom at City Gospel once a week. Or serve city. Maybe your junior hires or high school students or college students want to be part of serving Cincinnati through our partnership with Serve City. Serve Cincy. Or maybe just an hour and a half away, you want to join the work we've been doing for the last few years at Happy Church. One of the poorest areas of the country, only an hour and a half away in Kentucky. And say, I want to be part of advancing the kingdom to bring joy and happiness to those just an hour and a half away. Maybe if you want to stay in the near area, you want to be part of inter-parish ministries. You remember our blue bags that we mobilized and the ways in which we helped with the flood uh, just a few months ago. It's our way of saying we believe in our here, near, and far way of mobilizing and advancing and doing the kingdom. Or maybe it's far. Maybe this is the year that God's challenging you to be part of some of the partnering organizations we worked with. Back-to-back ministries, for example. Every year we send men's teams, women's teams, student teams down to all kinds of areas with back-to-back. In India, in Haiti, in Cancun, in Mexico. And we don't control all of that. Back-to-back, it's got sort of figured out. So we say, hey, mobilize, go, go on one of these trips, join one of these trips. In fact, Horizon is the largest participant in back-to-back of any of the churches in, in the country. Because we believe in mobilizing people into missional work. And of course, we've worked for Belize for 15 years. And so uh, they, they formed their own board. Folks from our church are on that. There's more people going to Belize now than ever have before with Belize partners, partners for Belize. In fact, we're adding, instead of doing um, Samaritan purses we've done in the past, this is the year we're going to take the things that we're doing for Samaritan's purse and remobilize those to the things we're already doing to partner with what's happening in Belize by getting laptops for them, for getting the, the, the resources needed for that because we're trying to do several things well rather than a hundred things poorly. And God may take you on one of these trips and be part of one of these things and you may come up with a brand new idea that may not be for the church organization to do, But God prompts you to say, how can I advance the kingdom with my passions and with my gifts and with my resources? We're a kingdom-minded place. And we've got to be refired to be sent by God in whatever way he calls us to. But the passage continues. Now we move from refiring to rethinking. Because as the kingdom begins to expand, notice what happens. So they, the disciples, departed and went through the towns. Everywhere they went, the kingdom's expanding. Proclaiming or preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And as this is happening, Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was done by him. I want you to notice something. Erase these marks. They, the disciples, are doing the work But when Herod sees it, he says, what's being done by him? Whatever you do in my name, we do it in his name. We don't do it to get credit for ourselves when we're kind or grieving or compassionate. We're not trying to bring attention to ourselves. We're trying to bring attention to him. And the disciples, it is so clear what they're doing in every town, every place, that Herod, the arch enemy of Jesus and his movement, 
is struck, not that the disciples are doing the work, but that he is doing the work. This is a starfish organization, and it's spreading everywhere. And so much so that Herod had tried to stop the starfish. Look what happens. Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was being done by him, and he's perplexed. I thought I killed this thing off. I thought I chopped off the head. Because Herod had been the one who had killed John the Baptist. He thought, is John the Baptist risen from the dead? Is the spider back? And some thought, no, no, this is Elijah has appeared. Others, one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I beheaded. I cut that thing off. Why is this movement still moving? But who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Now, if you remember, I tried to explain who a tetriarch was. When Herod the Great... Uh, divided his kingdom. He divided into four parts. That's Tetrarch. Herod Antipas, the one who's beheaded John the Baptist, is the one who pretty much is in charge of this vicinity of Israel, which is why he comes, and this is the Sea of Galilee, he comes back to back battling with John the Baptist and with Jesus who's doing ministry in this area. As they're battling together, I want you to notice this coincidence. That's why I call this rethinking. Because he's having deja vu. I just stopped this thing, it's back. I just stopped this thing, it's back. Have you ever experienced deja vu? Maybe you and your spouse are having the same fight for the third, fourth, fifth decade. Same conversation with your son or daughter. You feel like the same faith lesson that you thought you learned two years ago, you get brought to circumstances that are very similar this time again. Like what? Deja vu. When you experience deja vu... It might be God wanting to engage with you. Say, what you didn't learn last time, or you think you learned last time, we're going to test and see if you can apply it this time. Can you be kind this time? Can you love your enemies this time? Will you engage with me and accept me this time? And I think God has brought the kingdom back to the front door of Herod to give him a chance to have a deja vu moment. Are you going to behead it again or accept it again? Are you going to engage in this might be a kingdom that's more than just a kingdom I built for myself and that my dad had? Do I want to align my life around a greater kingdom than the one I have? Deja vu. It might be God wanting to engage with you. I had a week. I was uh, doing a wedding last week, so that's why I was off not speaking last weekend. And I got to hear so many incredible stories in the last seven days of ways in which God is engaging with people. I went to a wedding, and at the wedding, uh, one of the guys that did the wedding, uh, who invited me to do the wedding for his daughter, he started coming to Horizon, I don't know, about four years ago, maybe three years ago, and I met him, and I said, hey, what brings you to Horizon? He said, well, you did. Let's give an awkward intro. What do you mean I did? He said, well, do you remember about a year ago, my daughter came into your office, and I'm not a Christian, I don't necessarily believe in Jesus. And the whole Bible thing, uh, I kind of lean a little bit different direction. But my daughter came in and asked advice as to whether or not she should cut off contact with me because I wasn't a religious person. I kind of remember that. What did I say? What did I say? He says, and you told her that God asks us to honor our mother and father and that there's a promise God gives for honoring your parents regardless of the religious background. And I was so impressed by that advice and felt so honored, I started attending Horizon. And now, fast forward three years, I was invited to do the wedding last weekend, which was just such an honor to see how God had engaged 
in a three-year journey. Many of you were here last week where we, uh, while I was at the wedding, we had many people here at a funeral because we had a family who lost their 20-year-old son. And many of you served and greeted and hugged and cried and just walked with the family. And that's how a king advances. You rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. And you walk through valleys with people. I had this couple I met with last weekend and uh, as they were talking about coming to Christ, uh, the, the woman had invited Jesus to be her forgiver um, just a few months prior and then her fiance had done the same thing uh, just about a month later and they're talking about how God is working their life. They said, Chad, God's doing miraculous things and this church has so helped us and so supported us and, and again, I, I keep most of the stuff private so I'm not going to go into the details of it but it really had helped them in some incredible ways and, and you know, spiritually so and, and his, he's talking and he says, I got to tell you, Chad, I was reading Isaiah the other day. I guess a guy a couple months ago didn't necessarily even know exactly who Jesus was and you're reading an Isaiah? Yeah, and he was talking to me. He was talking about things I need to do. Who was? God. Just talking about Jesus and God like the first person. He's talking to me. Well, what did he say? Well, he pretty much said, his quote, not mine, that I need to get my ass together and, 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 and start pursuing him more. Well, it sounds like how God might talk to you. It was just so refreshing to see somebody pursuing God and seeing God do that work in their life and reading the scriptures. And they said, by the way, we got a baptism coming up at the end of June. We want to be baptized together. Would you baptize us? I know they called me about two days later this week and said, hey, Chad, do you have any marriage counselors that you'd recommend? I said, yeah, I got several and I gave them a list. I said, I thought you and your husband were separated. Yeah, I moved back in. And we're going to give it a shot. And we're going to fight for our marriage. And any resource you get to help us with that process. I'm just so proud. People fighting. Fighting for the kingdom. Last week at the uh, Saturday service, Drew was speaking last weekend. And, and at the end of the, of the service, he gave a gospel presentation. And so we have sort of in our strategies, we try to make sure there's a clear gospel presentation at all of our services every four to six weeks at least, if not more. So he'd given this real clear gospel presentation at the end of the service, and I'd gotten a, a text from somebody saying, hey, I had a friend who came to church last week and accepted Christ for the first time. Way to go, Chad. Thanks. No, I didn't. I said, actually, I wasn't the one speaking. I said, I just, the kingdom went out, and that's why we have such a team model. I said, it's just so exciting to see people coming to know Jesus because when the word of God is lifted up, when Jesus is lifted up, the kingdom's lifted up. And God wants all of us to, to engage in the kingdom, in our everyday living. And God will use four-year conversations, two-year conversations, investing, mentoring, finances, resources, spreading the kingdom if you will rethink, rethink, what does it mean to engage with God in my everyday life? Lastly, what does it mean to refuel? Because just as the multitudes are all around and they are ready to go, more ministry, more people need healed. Jesus, the apostles come back, they return, they told him all they've done. Oh, we've been doing oh, this and that. And, oh my goodness, the crazy things are happening. That's great. And Jesus says, awesome. And there's more work to do. So you know what we need to do? We need to move away. Come here. Privately, follow me. 
follow me, follow me. Lost my iPad here. You want to switch it over to the PowerPoint? Jesus says, come privately with me. Come privately with me to a deserted place. We've got to refuel. If we're going to keep giving, giving, giving the way we're giving, we've got to stay fueled up. We've got to watch our souls. We've got to make, stay connected to God through prayer and Bible study. And if we're always giving but never receiving, if we're always on the output but not the input, we're going to be in trouble. So come with me to the deserted place and let's refuel. Because disciples, friends, if you don't come apart to a deserted place, if you don't come apart to a quiet place to be refueled by the Spirit of God, if you don't come apart regularly, you will come apart from the grind of deadlines, the grind of culture, the grind of just one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. So part of advancing the kingdom is refueling your soul with the king. And Jesus took them and went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And when the multitudes, oh, they're after him. There's more work to do. And the multitudes are after you. You try and put disciplines of solitude or prayer or fasting or quiet in your life, it'll come after you. And they do. And he received them after they had refueled and told them again about the kingdom of God and they healed those who needed healing. Are you refueling? We live in a culture where we're constantly connected. Went to a conference recently that challenged us to get away from our screens, one, one, and one. What if you tried to get away from your phone and television screens for one hour a day? <sighs> one hour? You see, if you can't get away from busyness and work for even an hour a day, you might be enslaved. And Sabbath people, freed people, aren't enslaved to work. They aren't enslaved to, to their own resumes. They aren't enslaved to busyness or even technology. And this conference was challenging us to do one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year on vacation to try and unplug to nourish your soul. I thought, well, that's impossible. Then I read this article this week about Simon Cowell from American Idol. He has unplugged for 10 months he has not used his cell phone. And he said, it's been so refreshing. Now, I'm not even encouraging us to try that. But here's a guy who's plenty busy, got plenty going on with a special needs child and the busyness of life. He said, I had to unplug and I've found my soul. He also seems like a nicer guy if you watch the TV shows these days. What does it look like for you to refuel, to connect with God, to unplug and to connect See, Jesus wants us to, to send us to do his work in light of what he has done for us. We do in light of what he has done. What does it look like for you and I to be sent by God into our everyday life? What is God and where does God want to engage you? Let's go back over those three questions as we conclude today. Number one, where am I called to advance the kingdom? in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in the world, where are you called as a sent one to engage the kingdom? Now, those might be areas that we're partnering with as a church here near and far. There might be other things beyond that. We're not trying to control everything you do at all. But be sent. Be part of the kingdom business. Maybe it's one of the areas we're partnered with. Maybe it's a different one. But don't miss out on engaging the kingdom right here and right now in your life. I had two examples of that this week. A lot of story, God stories this week. 
guy came up to me and said, Chad, you've been talking about this expansion you guys are doing. Where are you at at that? I said, we're at 400000 We've raised, we're trying to raise about a million. He says, well, you know, we've been getting our, our uh, a couple deals in order. I want to sit down with you because we want to be part of advancing the kingdom uh, here at Horizon to, to put more spaces for people, especially at our 8, 15, 10 o'clock service. And we've got more details are, are putting in place on that. I had somebody else said, you know, Chad, I, I've been, I've been a, a person who just had a lot of different jobs in my life, talked to a lot of different people, but I've been, a, I, I've been in real estate. And there was this real awkward situation where this divorced couple was trying to sell a house together. And we had the, you know, the old husband, the new boyfriend, the old wife, uh, and not old like old, but, you know, and, and you know, they had to sign on the dotted line, but they're just going to sue each other to make sure that they, that they do it. And I just felt like God would called me to be a minister of reconciliation and say, how about before you sue anybody, how about I talk to him? And I talked to him with respect, gave him plenty of time, and we were able to make a deal done without lawsuits by bringing shalom and peace Here's somebody in their regular job saw their job as a chance to advance the kingdom. Secondly, what do you need to rethink? Where might God want to engage with you? I had a woman this week who said, Chad, you remember when I came to Christ uh, four or five months ago? I said, yeah. She said, you remember the question I asked you afterwards? I'm like, no. She said, I asked you if I could ever forgive my mother, how would I do it? And I, and I told her the story about the king who, who forgave two million and the servant who needed to be forgiven of two cents. I said, when you realize how much God's forgiven you, as, as bad as it might have been, you can forgive your mom. I'd totally forgotten about it. She said, well, I was driving down the road the other day, and he pulled me into my parents' house. Who? God! He pulled me into my parents' house. I hadn't seen my parents in years. I walked up the door. My mom and dad were on their way out. I knocked on the door. Dad didn't recognize me. It had been so long. He said, well, what are you doing here? She said, I've been praying about this and God wanted me to come and, and tell you that I'm sorry for the part I played in us not being near each other for so long and I want to start a new leaf. And that began a whole new process. I don't have time to tell the details of, of the kingdom. Somebody engaging with God and turning around a family and a life. And lastly, where do you maybe want to engage with God by refueling your soul? How's your soul doing these days? Do you have practices in your life to connect with him? Because God doesn't want you just to do your work to fill your resume. God wants to partner with you to do his work to advance the kingdom. And he says when you're doing the work with him, there's going to be a rhythm of peace, quarter notes, and rest notes. Quarter notes and rest, rest notes. You're refueled and you're doing the work. And God wants all of us to be sent into a higher purpose. Let's pray this week that God would allow us to see his kingdom advance in our everyday life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work here and in the midst of, of Horizon. God, thank you for the way which you're calling us, not to be just part of an organization, but to be individual followers of you, ambassadors of your kingdom wherever we go. And through all that, Father, we ask that you would get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, before you leave today, one last announcement. I mentioned a few weeks ago that Doug Daly is going to be retiring, and his last day is going to be on June 24th. And so we are going to have a party, a retirement party for him from 3.30 to 5.30 out on the terrace. So come to celebrate Doug. If not, come for the microbrewery and other things we'll be having going on that day and celebrate Doug. But uh, he'll be here for the next couple months, if, uh, next couple weeks uh, before he moves to Arkansas to be with his extended family. So we want to continue to thank Doug for his great work like we did a few weeks ago. And uh, just, again, say hi and thanks to him uh, and be there for that party. Thanks for being here today.